This is the Forbes Interview, Season 2. I'm your host, Stephen Bertoni. This show is for anyone with an entrepreneurial passion, looking for inspiration from established and up-and-coming business pioneers. Coming up, we have Tavit Himrikis. He's the co-founder and CEO of TransferWise. Upending entrenched banks and their hefty fees is no small thing, but Hemrakis and his team did it and are making boatloads of cash in the process. But first, this podcast is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp's all-in-one marketing platform allows you to manage more of your marketing activities from one place so you can market smarter and grow faster. Tavit, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, where are you calling? Are, are you in London? Are you in Estonia? Where are you uh, calling in from today? I am in London right now. Very good. And this is ironic. We're doing this over Skype, and you were what? You were Skype's first employee? Exactly. I was uh, I was the first person in the team who wasn't the founder and had a hell of a good time. I spent about seven years building Skype from an idea on the back of a napkin until a company with hundreds of millions of users and uh, great revenue and a great business. It's amazing. We're going full circle. Well, let me just let's start off by... Tell me a little, bit, a little bit about TransferWise. It's a great international company. I'm not sure uh, most Americans um, know about it or use it. They probably use it, but don't know they're using it. Uh, explain to me what you guys are doing and building and why is it exciting? So to explain TransferWise, I have, I'm going to go back to my uh, Skype experience. So when building Skype, I was based in Estonia. And at one point, I moved from Estonia to London, where we had our headquarters. And then I was still getting paid in Estonia. So... You know, I traveled back and forth a lot, and every month in Estonia, I went to my bank, and I said, hey, you know, I'd like to transfer a thousand euros from Estonia to London. Okay. And my bank told me, yes, Mr. Tavet, we're happy to do this. We're going to take, we're going to charge you 25 euros. So it's like, okay, you know, it sounds like a bit much, but do I have a choice? No, I don't. So I said, okay, let's do it. So then I go to London, and I go to my bank, and I get my bank statement. And I see two surprises. The first one is that, you know, I get a, I have a thousand euros. I take away twenty five. I get left with nine hundred seventy five. I look at Google. I exchange it to pounds. I get let's say eight hundred. But I look at my bank statement in London, and I received seven hundred fifty or seven hundred sixty. So a bunch of the money simply went missing, which was puzzling and frustrating. So I start looking into it and. It turns out that the exchange rate that banks use is very different from the exchange rate we can see on Google or Reuters. And basically, banks hide a bunch of their margin in a bad exchange rate. And that's you know, kind of a publicly known secret, and banks earn billions yeah. on this every year. And besides, besides bank taking, you know, we can even say stealing some of my money, it's a transfer to forever, four or five days for the money to arrive. I mean, bloody hell, it's the 21st century. Email goes instantaneously. What is money? It's just, you know, a few bits and, and stuff. And then I met Christo, who later became my co-founder. He was another nice Estonian guy living in London, sending some money back to Estonia. And he went to the bank. He stood in line for an hour and a half and had the same experience. I see. So we started talking and we realized that, wait a moment. It shouldn't be so bad. There must be a better way. So next month, what we did was simple. I transferred money from my account in Estonia to his account in Estonia. And he transferred money from his account in London to my account in London. We looked at the Google exchange rate and boom, 
Done. So very quickly, we have saved thousands of pounds in bank fees. You guys became your own bank. There's two of you. Exactly. We became our own banker. And besides saving money, we had this great feeling of having cheated our bank. Typically, <laughs> you have the opposite. And then, you know, we were, do we were using it between the two of us and a bunch of friends. And it was a bit later, a couple of years later, when we realized that, wait a moment, there are hundreds of millions of people who either work, live, or study abroad, and they would all benefit if we made this available to them as a service. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. We built a prototype, we launched it, and 15 minutes later, the first guy sent us 2,000 pounds. I love that how instead of complaining about it and being like, oh, this is how the system is, you guys got together and decided to you know, build your own system. That's incredible. Exactly. You know, when you see a mistake, you go and fix it. You know, like, I think, you know, kind of zooming out, you know, if you think about entrepreneurship, you know, I'm sure we all have friends who talk about like, yeah, you know, I don't like this and one day I'm going to do this. You know, the biggest thing is actually getting started. So we were very pragmatic. We were like, you know, screw it. If we don't try, we'll never know if it works. Uh -huh. we, can write a business, we can write a business plan, but that's not going to tell us if it's going to work. It's the only way of knowing if it's going to work is if we do it. So we went ahead and did it. 15 minutes later, someone sends us 2,000 pounds. That was the moment of, whoops, what do we do now? <laughs> and then, you know, we realized it turns out people are willing to trust two strangers on the internet who come from Estonia and give them thousands of pounds of their money. And we thought, that's pretty cool. Let's see how quickly we can grow this to be a global business. Wow. So now, you know, we launched in 2011, in January. Today we are 2018, November. We are moving $4 billion of customers' money every month. And we're just getting started still. You know, it's a team of 1,200 people. We are live in 40 countries. It's a fast-growing, profitable company. And still, it's early days. How do you go from that first $2,000 transfer, your first kind of phantom customer, to moving $4 billion? Like, so how'd you go from you, you had a very kind of like minimal, you know, minimal viable product, and then you decided, let's make a company. It's like, how did you, what are the next steps? You know, it's, a, it's hard work step by step, you know, what may look like an overnight success from the outside yeah. consists of thousands of little steps. Of course. Two steps forward, one step back. Uh, what we did in the first, so literally when we launched it, we had about 200 emails appear in our inbox overnight. Uh -huh. We had customers sending money, sending us questions. I was like, oh, wow, what do we do now? So we we did two things. We hired two people. We hired a girl, Eva, who is still with us, to be customer support. She... She literally happened to be flat sharing or like maybe visiting a friend at my co-founder's house. And we were like, hey, Eva, what are you doing today? Can you reply a few emails? And then we hired her to be customer support. And then we hired someone else whom I knew from Skype to be our head of operations to actually make sure that the money moves on time to kind of take care of all the day-to-day -day operational things give us a little bit of breathing space so we can work on developing the service. And we have a few people helping us with the day-to-day -day operations to keep the existing customers happy and the new customers make sure things work out smoothly. Do me a favor, take me back a second to Skype. So 
what were you doing at Skype and how, how did you first get into it? How did you become employee number one? What was kind of what drew you to that and what were you doing there? So um, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a history lesson on Estonia. So um, uh, we go into kind of late 90s, early 2000s. So there was a team of very talented programmers in Estonia who ended up uh, working with a Swedish media company during the dot-com boom to build uh, a portal, an online portal for them, which was you know, something very popular back then. Uh, the portal didn't really go anywhere. And a couple of the people from the Swedish side left and hired the Estonian programmers to build what later became Kazaa, which was the first music sharing network, first peer-to-peer music sharing network. It was around the days when Napster was around. Napster got shut down because it was a centralized service. And Kazaa was a peer-to-peer service, which was impossible to shut down because, you know, it was kind of all distributed. So they built Kazaa. Kazaa got into uh, a lot of trouble. There were many people in the uh, record industry of America who didn't like what they were doing. So uh, Niklas and Janus, who were the founders, ended up selling Kazaa. And then they were building a technology company to work with the same team in Estonia to see what else they can do in the field of peer-to-peer. Okay. And then at one point, uh, it was literally, I think it was like a Thursday night when I knew those guys, and they were like, "Hey, Tavit, we need this. We need a bit of help. We need someone to develop uh, a prototype of something." And I, and you know, I was a software developer back then. I was, uh, I was like 19, and I, I did that. And a couple months later, we started working on a new project, which eventually became Skype. And then, you know, the, the existing team of Estonian genius developers, and uh, Niklas and Janos became the founders, and I ended up being the first employee. Wow, between you and Ava, it sounds like if you hang out with Estonians long enough, you end up with a pretty cool startup job. <laughs> exactly. And take me a little bit, I mean, speaking of peer-to-peer, without getting too nerdy and without getting too much into the weeds, t- tell me a little bit about how the the actual money transfers work because you guys found a pretty um, interesting and smart way to avoid um, fees and make it quick, right? By just, it's almost peer-to-peer many, uh, money swapping in a way. Tell me a little bit how this works because this is, this is really clever. I, I like this a lot. So, I mean, literally we realized in the beginning that, uh, you know, when some people are sending euros from Estonia to England, there are people who send pounds from England to Estonia. And then, you know, if we, once we realize that banks are screwing us by having an exchange rate which uh, hides most of their fees, you know, if we actually helps these people meet each other who are sending money in opposite directions. We can do it, you know, using the mid-market exchange rate. That's kind of the peer-to-peer idea here. You know, as we're now doing it on scale, then it's kind of really, it's not so much uh, peer-to-peer or point-to-point, but it's really about, you know, we do benefit from the fact that there are hundreds of millions of euros going into pounds or hundreds of millions of pounds going into euros. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of, we match these aggregate flows. And that enables us to do things cheaper and faster than you would do in a, in a kind of conventional, uh, conventional way. Well, and how many customers do you guys have there? How many users? So TransferWise today has millions of people using it. And what's the main cause? Is it, I mean, are there people doing business or is it, or people sending money home to friends and family, kind of like a Western Union kind of thing, as we would see in the States, or people like you who may be living in the UK but has to pay bills or mortgages in another place? What is like the typical use case? 
So we started out as a consumer service and people use us for a variety of different needs. So let me give you a couple examples. People maybe went to school in the US into, uh, into college or graduate school and maybe they took out um, a student loan and they end up paying it back over many years and then they do that from Europe using TransferWise once a quarter. Uh, maybe people work for a bank in London and maybe the bank is a German bank, maybe it's called Deutsche Bank, and they end up getting the salary paid in euros because it's a German bank, mm-hmm. and every month they need to exchange their salary from euros to pounds. People might be sending money back home to family from London to Estonia. So it's lots of different cross-border use cases for people who either work, live, or study abroad. But we're also really busy helping small to medium businesses. You know, they might be... Uh, sending money over, like they might have employees overseas, they might have suppliers overseas. And also now we're kind of going, going higher up in the, in the chain. We, uh, we have a number of banks that have partnered with TransferWise. Uh, last we announced BPC, second biggest bank in France, who will soon be offering TransferWise to all of their customers. So now we're looking at kind of all over the picture to see where are people who send, where are people or businesses who send money to other people or businesses and how do we make sure we can help them in the best way. That's incredible. I love how this went from just, you know, two guys swapping money uh, to pay for mortgages led to this. What is it like um, competing with these, you said this is a billion dollar business and you're competing with giant, giant international banks and finance and kind of money um, um, exchanges like a Western Union and, and other things. What was it like competing with, with that giant, well-capitalized group? It's really easy. It's easy. Because they are, they are so, like a typical bank is using technology which is so outdated and uh, attitudes and so, so complacent. You know, they, they may have had something which was, uh, which was great at some point, but I think the overall quality of uh, banking services provided is really poor. It's, uh, you know, unfortunately, too many of the banks are thinking about how do we take advantage of our customers? How do we missell some some products? You know, there have been banks in the U.S. that have done this recently. Uh, how do we meet our bonus targets? Instead of thinking, how do we provide our customers a great service? How do we make sure that after interacting with us, they actually feel great and tell their friends about it? Mm-hmm. And by the way. Most customers come to TransferWise because a friend told them about TransferWise because we're providing such an opposite experience to banking experience. And people are like, bloody hell, this is so amazing. I'm going to tell my friends who also might need it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. What was the, is the strategy? Like, I've, I've seen a few uh, Subway ads in the, in the States um, with TransferWise. And do you have a large sales force? Or do you still kind of rely on um, word of mouth and people just kind of is spreading virally almost or giving people, you know, giving advice? We have uh, zero salespeople at TransferWise. Uh, most people hear about us from a friend. I mean, we do, you know, we do make use of advertising on Facebook and Google. You know, you've uh-huh. seen us in the subway in New York. We've also advertised in the Tube in London. But you know, most people and the best source of customers is existing customers. Has any banks tried to kind of shut you down, or have you have any competitors trying to come up and you know do what you're doing? What, what kind of opposition have you faced? You know, banks, so kind of what tends to happen is, so if we, if we look in the payment world, and in order to, to do what we're doing, we need access to the, 
local uh, payment system in every country. And what tends to happen is that these payment systems are kind of guarded by the banks and banks spend lots of time and effort on lobbying. And, you know, it tends to be that the regulators typically listen much more to the big banks and they think about what's good for consumers. You know, luckily, it's starting to change a little bit now. So in UK, we became the first non-bank to be part of the local local payment network, which means we can do things even cheaper, even faster in the UK. And, you know, the UK regulator has, has a mission of being innovative. I think it's the only regulator that has innovation as part of its mission, mission statements. But luckily, we're starting to see that all over the world that the regulators are, are starting to think about how do we make this uh, a more level playing field? How do we make sure that innovative solutions get access to the same kind of services as large incumbent banks? And how do we make sure that the bank's lobby doesn't completely sway us in the wrong direction? Did you have any finance experience before you guys launched this company? Uh, no. I've been a customer of a, of a bank, but not much beyond this. Same with my co-founder. I mean, he, he was working at a consultancy and actually he'd done some work for, uh, you know, not for banks, but for insurance companies. But I think it's a, it's probably a good thing that we didn't have because looking around, oftentimes, you know, when you speak to people who are in the business, they end up thinking like the business works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for them, what they do is probably good and you know, they try to do it a little better every year. And if you tell them about a way of doing it 10 times better, they'll sort of very negative eyes and say like, say, say, focus on finding reasons why it can't work. Versus, you know, if you come in from the outside and you really kind of break things down into, uh, into pieces and you realize, you know, we could do it this way now. And I think that's something that as an outsider is much easier to do as an insider. And I mean, obviously, you know, through the years, we've realized how hard it really is. But you, you need a little bit of this naivety in the beginning to go and tackle a, a really big problem and to try to do it in a new way, which is 10 times better. Being an outsider and having that, that kind of good, curious naivete is, in, you know, is important. But also, you're in a business that's highly regulated and there's lots of laws and statutes. How did you get smart and educate yourself on kind of how this world works? Initially, by reading through the regulation ourselves, you know, if you're a smart person, you'll make some sense of it, and then you're going to ask other people and lawyers to help you out where you can't. But, you know, we started by being super hands-on, figuring it out ourselves, and obviously, you know, by now, you know, a thousand people, we have a large compliance team, we have, we have a lot of regulatory people in the business, but we started by figuring out ourselves, like, what's the point of regulation in here? To kind of to make sure you understand the big picture and and then you know it turns out regulators are people too and say they are very curious if you go and speak to them and you know they're and they're changing towards the better as I as I mentioned. And what did besides the fees? What was the most shocking thing you learned about the old school kind of um, money business while you were you know while you've been doing this? It's a slowness and a kind of the complexity, you know. So the way you use TransferWise now is you have it on your mobile and you can do a transaction in a couple of clicks. But still with many banks, in order to make an, an international payment, you have to go to a branch. You have to fill in a paper-based form. Then the money takes five days to arrive and you end up losing between 5 and 10% of the amount you send. So it, just, it, it feels like a very 
old school way of thinking. You know, anyone who thinks that's normal, you know, must have been born many decades before today. Like, you know, if you, if you, if you think about someone who's been born in the past 20 years, for them, this would feel completely absurd. Yeah. Uh, my colleague Sam Scharf did a, um, a story with you guys a few years ago about you know the rise of TransferWise. And I, it was really interesting about the Estonian history and kind of the culture that it was basically a tech hub during communism. And then when the Berlin Wall fell and you guys got independence, you kind of went, you went di- all in digital really fast. And like, t- tell me about this, like the idea of you guys were, you know, I think the story said you were p- paying bills with cell phones back in the early 2000s and stuff that we're doing now in fintech. It seems like it's been in Estonia for a decade. What, what was that culture like and how has it helped you kind of become an entrepreneur? So, um, you know, you have to uh, realize that Estonia was part of the Soviet Union. So both myself and my co-founder, Christo, we were born in the Soviet Union. Yeah. And in 1991, Estonia regained independence. And at that point, you know, in a way, we had the courage to start everything over from from scratch and do it in a modern way. Like 1991, the kind of personal computer was just about happening. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it had been invented in the 80s, but it was... It was starting to to gain some popularity. Like I, I have heard a story from the president of Estonia how, uh, you know, Finland offered their own phone exchange to us in like 1991, and we told Finland, you know, thanks, dear friends, you know, we love your phone exchange, but we rather wait two more years until we can buy a modern one than get what you installed in the 70s. So we built everything up in the 90s in a kind of modern way, as modern as it was in the 90s, but using computers, you know, I've been using online banking since 1996. So that kind of feels normal to me. And and we had a, a very kind of progressive government, which which made a few reforms in the right way to to change Estonia from a kind of a communist regime into a, a modern capitalist uh, society, which, you know, we were very, very lucky. And from the Soviet bloc, we've... Uh, We've done we've done best as a result of these these reforms. How old were you when um, when you guys gained independence? I was ten years old, so I was you know I was slightly too young to understand what was happening. I think, but you know I think going into the Soviet era, in a way, it was very entrepreneurial in my mind. Even so, private enterprises weren't allowed. But you know in the in the eighties. There was a lack of everything, you know, kind of in a shop, you could buy potatoes and milk. But, you know, if you wanted to buy a car, you had to wait, you know, had to sign up and wait for five years. So it was like it was life was very far from like very far from what we're used to now. You could not go to a shop and buy a TV. You know, there were seven TVs sold every month that became available. So it meant that if you needed something, you had to be pretty good at uh, at being creative and figuring out how to do things or, you know, if your TV broke, then, you know, the best chance you had was to fix it yourself. Yeah. I think in a way people were uh, creative and entrepreneurial. And I think it's come, it served us well later on, you know, kind of when when we rebuilt the country and we had relatively young people occupy a lot of important positions who were also much more kind of forward thinking than some people who, you know, may have been doing the same thing for, for tens of years. So as a result of that, and then as a result of us being lucky and Skype being invented in Estonia, it's really become a tech hub. And, you know, 
according to statistics, there are more tech companies in Estonia per capita than anywhere in the world. <laughs> Any companies that we should put on our radar in, in the States? Anything really interesting that you're excited about over there? So, I mean, uh, what do we have right now? We have, uh, you know, we had Skype. We have TransferWise. We have uh, Taxify, which is a leading ride-sharing company in Europe, which is uh, battling with Uber. We have uh, a great CRM company, PipeDrive. You know, I think Salesforce should watch out for PipeDrive. <laughs> okay. We have a bunch of others, like so there's a great robotic company doing delivery robots called Starship. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening in Estonia, which is super exciting. And what's exciting at TransferWise? What do you, uh, what do you guys, what's, you, I, I think we just forwarded to the story that you guys are quadrupling revenue every year and it's growing like crazy. What is getting you excited? What initiatives, what kind of mission is, is getting you going? So the, the last thing we did is we launched something called the borderless account. We realized a typical customer has a bank account in the UK, a bank account in France, maybe another bank account in Finland. And so equally frustrated about all of them. So we found that, that you know we could offer them something more. So now you can keep a balance of transferwise. You can do it in a, a couple dozen of currencies. You can you can switch money from one currency to another at the flick of a button, and you get a debit card which you can use to access that balance. So debit card is available in Europe now. It, it's going to launch in the US beginning of next year. That's quite a powerful proposition. You know, you might be able to get the multi-currency account from a, a bank. But you probably pay quite a high monthly fee for it, or you have to be like a top 1% gold platinum customer, in which case you pay a lot to your bank anyways, whether you know it or not. So like, the transfer borderless account has no monthly fee. We only charge you when you change money from one currency to another. And it greatly simplifies your life when you are traveling abroad. You know, it, it gives you a local account number in US, Europe, Australia, which you can use to and receive money so it's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool new way of doing international banking and you know we've had people deposit more than two billion into the borderless account so far so is it good for if i'm uh, going to europe for a week on vacation is it worth uh, getting an account uh, absolutely you should you should get it it's gonna it'll make sure that your bank doesn't charge you uh, unnecessary fees that will they will do when you use your card abroad so Definitely, you should do it when you're coming to Europe. So, how's it work? If I'm if I'm American and going to go to Paris or or uh, Italy or even Estonia, what, what what how's that work? What's uh, take me through really quick? You go on the website or you go on the app. You uh, you set up a transferwise account. You say you want a borderless account. We'll be able to ship you a bright green debit card which you can use with a borderless account. And then uh, you have to fill your account by transferring money to it from your U.S. bank account, and boom. Off you go. Wow. And you've been doing, you know, you've been, you said you started with Skype when you were 19. So you've been in the tech world for a lot of different cool cycles. Outside of kind of your core business, what are you excited about in technology right now? What, 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 what should people be on the lookout for? So I think, you know, when, when we started in the 90s, you know, we saw that lots of the basic needs got disrupted, you know, e-commerce, buying books, clothes online, you know, I think these things... Uh, are pretty well done now. There are many companies that still will be built and that will scale, but that's kind of done, you know. Now, uh, we, lots of stuff has been done in finance, which is which is good, making our lives simpler. I think what's exciting going forward is to see what will happen in fields like, for example, education, you know. Given how quickly the world is changing, it, it's puzzling to see that education is actually quite stale. So I think there, there are many ways to use technology to make education more affordable, more available. 
And then next up also everything around health, you know. So way, uh, the way we live now is that when we get a pain, we go to a doctor. But if you think about it, you know, we should really have a dashboard of our personal health and to be able to see how how things look inside your body. And I think we're, we're going to be getting that over the coming years or coming decades. And that's pretty exciting. Wow. How does that work? Like a, like, sens- like sensors on picking up how different things are functioning? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we, will, we will be having real-time data about how our body functions and, and kind of the implications of that and preventative medicine, I think, are pretty exciting. Mm. You mentioned before how fast things are changing. Kind of a universal question. Were there any truths that you had when, in, when you were like 20 years old that you don't see, that you don't think are truths now? Like what, 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 when you were younger, what conceptions have really been flipped on their head now that you're a, you're a little more of a veteran in, this, in, in, the, in the world? Oh, it's a good question. Um, let me think. Yeah, I think when you, you're kind of thinking about it from an entrepreneurial point of view, you know, when you start a company, you are, I was in the beginning kind of on a lookout for, you know, where do we find this silver bullet which will make everything work and enable us to, to grow at the speed of light, you know. Been looking for a silver bullet forever now. Turns out it doesn't exist, you know. It's, <laughs> it's, all, it's all about hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, and, you know, step by step, you know, two steps forward, one step back, but that's how you make things happen, you know. You can't, you can't sit and wait around for a silver bullet, unfortunately. Well, that was a per- that's a perfect way to wrap up the show. That was great. So I want to thank Tapa Himrikas, the founder of TransferWise, calling in from London over Skype. Tava, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Forbes interview. I'm Stephen Bertoni. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'll see you next week.